Sketches by Boz, Section 9. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Brad Philippone. Sketches by Boz, by Charles Dickens, Section 9. Scenes, Chapter 2. The Streets, Night. But the streets of London, to be beheld in the very height of their glory, should be seen on a dark, dull, murky winter's night, when there is just enough damp gently stealing down to make the pavement greasy without cleansing it of any of its impurities, and when the heavy, lazy mist which hangs over every object makes the gas-lamps look brighter and the brilliantly lighted shops more splendid from the contrast they present to the darkness around. All the people who are at home on such a night as this seem disposed to make themselves as snug and comfortable as possible, and the passengers in the streets have excellent reason to envy the fortunate individuals who are seated by their own firesides. In the larger and better kind of streets, dining-parlour curtains are closely drawn, kitchen-fires blaze brightly up, and savoury steams of hot dinners salute the nostrils of the hungry wayfarer as he plods warily by the area railings. In the suburbs the muffin-boy rings his way down the little street much more slowly than he is wont to do, for Mrs. Macklin of number four has no sooner opened her little street-door and screamed out, "'Muffins!' with all her might, then Mrs. Walker, at number five, puts her head out of the parlour window, and screams, "'Muffins, too!' And Mrs. Walker has scarcely got the words out of her lips, then Mrs. Peplow, over the way, lets loose Master Peplow, who darts down the street with a velocity which nothing but buttered muffins in perspective could possibly inspire, and drags the boy back by main force whereupon Mrs. Macklin and Mrs. Walker, just to save the boy trouble, and to say a few neighbourly words to Mrs. Peplow at the same time, run over the way and buy their muffins at Mrs. Peplow's door, when it appears from the voluntary statement of Mrs. Walker that her kittles just a-biling, and the cups and saucers ready laid, and that, as it was such a wretched night out of doors, she'd made up her mind to have a nice, hot, comfortable cup of tea, a determination at which, by the most singular coincidence, the other two ladies had simultaneously arrived. After a little conversation about the wretchedness of the weather and the merits of tea, with a digression relative to the viciousness of boys as a rule, and the amiability of Master Peplow as an exception, Mrs. Walker sees her husband coming down the street, and as he must want his tea, poor man, after his dirty walk from the docks, she instantly runs across, muffins in hand, and Mrs. Macklin does the same, and after a few words to Mrs. Walker, they all pop into their little houses and slam their little street doors, which are not opened again for the remainder of the evening, except to the nine o'clock beer, who comes round with a lantern in front of his tray, and says, as he lends Mrs. Walker's yesterday's tizer, that he's blessed if he can hardly hold the pot, much less feel the paper, for it's one of the bitterest nights he ever felt, except the night when the man was frozen to death in the brickfield. 
after a little prophetic conversation with the policeman at the street corner touching a probable change in the weather and the setting in of a hard frost the nine o'clock beer returns to his master's house and employs himself for the remainder of the evening in assiduously stirring the tap-room fire and deferentially taking part in the conversation of the worthies assembled round it the streets in the vicinity of the marsh gate and victoria theatre present an appearance of dirt and discomfort on such a night which the groups who lounge about them in no degree tend to diminish even the little block-tin temples sacred to baked potatoes surmounted by a splendid design in variegated lamps looks less gay than usual and as to the kidney pie stand its glory has quite departed the candle in the transparent lamp manufactured of oil-paper embellished with characters has been blown out fifty times so the kidney pie merchant tired with running backwards and forwards to the next wine vaults to get a light has given up the idea of illumination in despair and the only signs of his whereabouts are the bright sparks of which a long irregular train is whirled down the street every time he opens his portable oven to hand a hot kidney pie to a customer flatfish oyster and fruit vendors linger hopelessly in the kennel in vain endeavouring to attract customers and the ragged boys who usually disport themselves about the streets stand crouched in little knots in some projecting doorway or under the canvas blind of a cheesemonger's where great flaring gas-lights unshaded by any glass display huge piles of blight red and pale yellow cheeses mingled with little fivepenny dabs of dingy bacon various tubs of weekly dorset and cloudy rolls of best fresh here they amuse themselves with theatrical converse arising out of their last half-price visit to the victoria gallery admire the terrific combat which is nightly encored and expatiate on the inimitable manner in which bill thompson can come the double monkey or go through the mysterious involutions of a sailor's hornpipe it is nearly eleven o'clock and the cold thin rain which has been drizzling so long is beginning to pour down in good earnest the baked potato man has departed the kidney pie man has just walked away with his warehouse on his arm the cheesemonger has drawn in his blind, and the boys have dispersed. The constant clicking of patterns on the slippy and uneven pavement, and the rustling of umbrellas, as the wind blows against the shop windows, bear testimony to the inclemency of the night, and the policeman with his oilskin cape buttoned closely round him seems, as he holds his hat on his head and turns round to avoid the gust of wind and rain which drives against him at the street corner, to be very far from congratulating himself on the prospect before him the little chandler's shop with the cracked bell behind the door whose melancholy tinkling has been regulated by the demand for quarterns of sugar and half ounces of coffee is shutting up the crowds which have been passing to and fro during the whole day are rapidly dwindling away and the noise of shouting and quarrelling which issues from the public-houses is almost the only sound that breaks the melancholy stillness of the night there was another but it has ceased that wretched woman with the infant in her arms round whose meagre form the remnant of her own scanty shawl is carefully wrapped has been attempting to sing some popular ballad on the hope of wringing a few pence from the compassionate passer-by a brutal laugh at her weak voice is all she has gained 
the tears fall thick and fast down her own pale face the child is cold and hungry and its low half-stifled wailing adds to the misery of its wretched mother as she moans aloud and sinks despairingly down on a cold damp doorstep singing how a few of those who pass such a miserable creature as this think of the anguish of heart the sinking of soul and spirit which the very effort of singing produces bitter mockery disease neglect and starvation faintly articulating the words of the joyous ditty that has enlivened your hours of feasting and merriment god knows how often it is no subject of jeering the weak tremulous voice tells a fearful tale of want and famishing and the feeble singer of this roaring song may turn away only to die of cold and hunger one o'clock parties returning from the different theatres footed through the muddy streets cabs hackney couches carriages and theatre omnibuses roll swiftly by watermen with dim dirty lanterns on their hands and large brass plates upon their breasts who have been shouting and rushing about for the last two hours retire to their watering-houses to solace themselves with the creature comforts of pipes and pearl the half-price pit-and-box frequenters of the theatres throng to the different houses of refreshment and chops kidneys rabbits oysters stout cigars and goes innumerable are served up amidst a noise and confusion of smoking running knife clattering and waiter chattering perfectly indescribable the more musical portion of the play-going community betake themselves to some harmonic meeting as a matter of curiosity let us follow them thither for a few moments in a lofty room of spacious dimensions are seated some eighty or a hundred guests knocking little pewter measures on the tables and hammering away with the handles of their knives as if they were so many trunk-makers they are applauding a glee which has just been executed by the three professional gentlemen at the top of the centre table one of whom is in the chair the little pompous man with the bald head just emerging from the collar of his green coat the others are seated on either side of him the stout man with the small voice and the thin-faced dark man in black the little man in the chair is a most amusing personage such condescending grandeur and such a voice base as the young gentleman near us with the blue stock forcibly remarks to his companion base i believe you he can go down lower than any man so low sometimes that you can't hear him and so he does to hear him growling away gradually lower and lower down till he can't get back again is the most delightful thing in the world and it is quite impossible to witness unmoved the impressive solemnity with which he pours forth his soul in my arts in the islands or the brave old hoak the stout man is also addicted to sentimentality and warbles fly fly from the world my bessie with me or some such song with ladylike sweetness and in the most seductive tones imaginable pray give your orders gentlemen pray give your orders says the pale-faced man with the red head and demands for goes of gin and goes of brandy and pints of stout and cigars of peculiar mildness are vociferously made from all parts of the room 
the professional gentlemen are in the very height of their glory, and bestow condescending nods, or even a word or two of recognition, on the better-known frequenters of the room, in the most bland and patronizing manner possible. The little round-faced man with the small brown surtout, white stockings and shoes, is in the comic line. The mixed air of self-denial and mental consciousness of his own powers, with which he acknowledges the call of the chair, is particularly gratifying. "'Gentlemen,' says the little pompous man, accompanying the word with a knock of the President's hammer on the table, "'gentlemen, allow me to claim your attention. Our friend, Mr. Smuggins, will oblige. Bravo!' shout the company and Smuggins, after a considerable quantity of coughing by way of symphony, and a most facetious sniff or two, which afford general delight, sings a comic song, with a fal-de-ral, tol-de-ral chorus at the end of every verse, much longer than the verse itself. It is received with unbounded applause, and after some aspiring genius has volunteered a recitation, and failed dismally therein, the little pompous man gives another knock, and says, "'Gentlemen!' we will attempt a glee if you please this announcement calls forth tumultuous applause and the more energetic spirits express the unqualified approbation it affords them by knocking one or two stout glasses off their legs a humorous device but one which frequently occasions some slight altercation when the form of paying the damage is proposed to be gone through by the waiter scenes like these are continued until three or four o'clock in the morning and even when they close fresh ones open to the inquisitive novice but as a description of all of them however slight would require a volume the contents of which however instructive would be by no means pleasing we make our bow and drop the curtain end of section nine